I'm really not passionate about leadership development for the sake of leadership development. I'm into this because I love followers. And so many followers' lives have been ruined or made miserable by crappy leaders that it's so funny, right? My drive is really about making organizational life exceptional for followers. And the way to do that is to work with leaders and make leaders, help leaders become the best they can be. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Simon Sinek, and it is, leadership is a way of thinking, a way of acting, and most importantly, a way of communicating. Our guest today, Dan Rockwell, is one of the best thinkers, speakers, and writers on leadership. He's an award-winning leadership coach, former business owner, and deliverer of hundreds of presentations on leadership to organizations around the world. He's also the creator of the Leadership Freak blog, the number one most shared leadership blog on the internet. Dan, welcome. I'm excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to be with you. So today you're best known as an expert on leadership, but I'm guessing didn't start that way. How did your, how did your career start out? Well, I don't know about career. I mean, I'm a Maine boy originally, so I was yeah. uh, born and, and brought up in, a, in Maine uh, on a dairy farm, which is the worst kind of farm you could possibly be brought up on because you have to melt cows twice a day. I tell people, you know everything you really need to know about me when you hear that I was born in Maine, brought up on a dairy farm. So, Yeah. Well, you learned hard work. Maybe more management than leadership. Yeah, I did learn how to work. And uh, that's been just part of my life. You know, I believe in it. So um, I, I work harder than I need to. And I'm glad to. I enjoy it. And so what was your first job? You know, it's funny, your first job, uh, so here I am up in Maine, and um, I got hired by another dairy farmer to help him take care of his herd. So we had our own farm, and before I would go to school, high school in the mornings, I would go over and um, help this other dairy farmer too. Boy, if that is not nuts, I don't know what is. (laughs) (laughs) And and then uh, somehow at the age of 16, I read you gave your first presentation on stage. I'd be curious to uh, hear what it was about and if you knew then that you really wanted to uh, become a speaker. I have seen myself in front of crowds since I was about 13 and I have no idea where that comes from. My dad is quiet, uh, was a quiet introvert. My mom was not up. She was much more vocal but not in front of people as a speaker. But honestly, um, I could close my eyes before I'd go to sleep at night at 13 years old, and I could see myself on the platform in front of uh, large crowds. And I, uh, I have no real explanation where that comes from, except uh, maybe I was born with it. I don't know. And uh, the first presentation I gave was a high school assembly. And uh, in some ways, it was a colossal failure. And in other ways, at least I got it under my belt. Yeah. It was about half as long as it was supposed to be. <laughs> so, you know, and some of the content was uh, a little off base. But, and I was nervous. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's funny, isn't it? You, you like to do sometimes what makes you nervous or you're also scared about it. And uh, I still am nervous about public speaking. But uh, apparently, I have enough 
ego or drive or whatever it is to enjoy also being up in front of people. Well, if you're nervous, then you probably, it's probably the opposite. I think people who aren't nervous are probably overconfident and people who are nervous, you know, prepare and still take it seriously. Well, I have enough nerves to really prepare. I'll tell you that. (laughs) That is good. So I'm curious, did you have any exposure to really positive leadership mentors or, you know, I found a lot of people who've made leadership the hallmark of their career. And this is true for a little bit for me, particularly negative experiences where you said, oh, there's got to be a better way than, than what this person's doing. Uh, high school sports, I think, was uh, important. Uh, Little League was important for me. Uh, coaches who took an interest in me and pushed me, pressed me, encouraged me. I really saw that. And I, I think that's it. I'm, I was also brought up in church. And, uh, you know, you see a dynamic speaker. Yeah. And that, you know, has some sort of interest as well. And so what was your first like real business experience? Not, you know, peddling stuff in the, in the backyard, but when did you really get a chance outside of sports to, to sort of dive into leadership? Uh, I started doing contracting when we moved to Long Island. We moved to Long Island from Maine and I started doing contracting. So at that stage, you're dealing with employees and subcontractors and customers and all of that kind of thing. I, it, being brought up on a farm, you always, you're self-reliant. You always do yeah. what you need to do. So I learned a lot and we built things and all that. So it was natural for me to start doing renovations and, you know, bathrooms and kitchens and, you know, those types of things. So that's where some of my business experience came in. After that, I, I went to work for the local Penn State affiliate and I worked there for like 15 years. Now, that was not my own business. But at that stage, I was dealing with a lot of businesses and uh, doing training for them and setting up training and hiring faculty and, you know, all those kinds of things. So I've been involved in really the business world for 30 years, probably. And what's your definition of great leadership? You know, you got to go with Maxwell, I think, and leadership is influence. But you have to also include this idea of identity. So I think it's uh, Francis Heschelbein who says, leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. And so it's not simply setting out to go influence people, but to understand that who we are is the channel through which we are influencing the people around us. It was uh, Jim Parker, who was the CEO of Southwest Airlines during 9-11, who when I asked him, you know, what's your favorite word of advice to young leaders and managers? And he said, be yourself. Now, that's like one of the most underwhelming bits of advice I think I'd ever received. But as you think about it, you realize that really the essence of our influence comes from who we are and maybe even who we aspire to be. Well, that's an interesting point. And I'll transition to something I want to talk about, which is why do you think leaders have a, such a hard time being authentic and saying what they feel and doing what they think and, and, and getting those things incongruous versus, you know, really believing one thing and saying or doing another? Yeah. So people pleasing is, I think, 
something that many of us are either blessed with or afflicted with. A little bit of people pleasing goes a long way. It's important to build good relationships, care for people, want to make people happy, want to make your customers happy. All those things are important, but boy, that tips over. Let's let's face it. You go to first grade, what do you want to do? You want to please your teacher. Before you go to first grade, you want to please your parents and afterwards too. You know, then you get your first job and you want to please your boss. And, you know, it's just brought up uh, in us. And honestly believe this, a real part of the journey of life is coming to define ourselves by who we are instead of who other people expect us to be. And so I think we struggle with the authenticity because we're people pleasers. And then, of course, it's just a lot of pressure in leadership. You've got customers who want this and you've got board members who want this and employees who are they're pulling this way. And that's why when Jim Parker said, be yourself, I came to realize that if you aren't settled in who you are, you're going to be pulled this way, you're going to be pulled that way. At one minute, somebody says this, and oh, that's a great idea. And, you know, in the afternoon, somebody says something else, and boom, you're, you know, you're pulled in the other direction because you're not settled on your own personal values and what your life is all about. Yeah, I've written a lot recently about how I think uh, a lot of these companies have these kind of fake core values on the wall out of Dilbert or the office space or, or, or any of these things that, you know, we all have integrity and this and we get along and we try our best. And, and my take is that like real core values in a company should have a differentiated point of view. It should attract some people and turn some people off. I wonder is like, is it the same for leadership? Like, I, I, I mean, I've had to really learn to stop trying to make everyone happy. And I've been really pushing that in our company too, because I've seen some of our emerging leaders say, oh, we got some pushback here. Or, oh, we got some uh, here. And, and, and feedback is great, but I, I can see them all starting to try to please everyone, which I think gets you into no man's land versus having uh, not necessarily people against you, but a bunch of people who are really passionately with you and others who aren't so excited and want to go elsewhere. That's the thing, isn't it? If you're going to be who you are and have strong core values, then you have to be willing to say uh, no to others. I've just been reading about Chick-fil-A, fascinating company, kind of controversial in some situations. Uh, You know, they close on Sundays. That's part of their core value. They are the most profitable fast food chain in the world. And it's like nuts. But see, part of what's going on is they know who they are and you know who they are. Right. For me, for example, it took a long time, but I finally realized I'm really not passionate about leadership development for the sake of leadership development. I'm into this because I love followers, and so many followers' lives have been ruined or made miserable by crappy leaders that it's so funny, right? My drive is really about making organizational life exceptional for followers. And the way to do that is to work with leaders and make leaders, help leaders become the best they can be. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. 
I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, one of my favorite stories, I think, also about Southwest, and, and if anyone hasn't read the book uh, Nuts, which is the biography of Southwest, it's really a great read if you want to see how Herb Kelleher, who's just one of my heroes, and, and, and how they live their values. But there's a story where this customer wrote to Herb like four times and said, I hate your plastic tickets. I hate waiting in line. I hate that you don't serve And finally wrote a letter back and said, you know, dear Mary, thank you for your notes. Really sounds like another airline would be a better choice for you, right? So, it, you know, Southwest has a differentiated point of view, which is if you want low fares and you want to be on time and you want people who are friendly, you know, here are the sacrifices and they're un apologetic about that in the same way that Ikea is sort of unapologetic about disposable furniture. It's not meant to last. It's fast fashion. And it seems that people and these brands that can just lean into that do so much better than the ones that are worried about offending or checking off the box. So the example that someone gave when they were telling that Kelleher story was, so imagine like that person was... um, uh, And this was Francis Fry was talking about this Southwest in a different context. Imagine that person, you know, who writes the Southwest about all the things he hates about, you know, husband is on the board or wife is on the board and they send that letter and then that letter gets to the board and then it goes to Southwest. Like, look, you guys need to board people faster and all this stuff. And and it was just like, no, like that's the worst thing that could happen, right? (laughs) Would be to put pressure on them to change what they actually are happy about being. Someone said, uh, I don't... I don't know where this comes from exactly, but I've remembered it, that uh, part of one of the things, you know, you could say here at Southwest Airlines from a customer who wants the airline to change is they might get a note that says, uh, we'll miss you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. I, and and here's what's interesting. And I've said this to a lot of people. So when anyone ever said, who is the leader that you admire the most, kind of role model, one of my only regrets not met him, it's Herb Kelleher in terms of just the decisions he made, the counterculture, doing something in that industry. I, I just really respect and I've read a lot about him and everything he's done. I do not like flying Southwest. I try to avoid it. I fly a lot. 
I like getting on the plane early. <laughs> I like being first. I like my status, like yes. all that stuff. But I really appreciate that they are true to, but if I need to get somewhere cheap and fast, then like that's what I would do. But otherwise, like I like getting in the airport late and knowing I have my, I have my seat. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to write hate mail. I'm just going to fly another airline. Exactly. That's why I fly American. You know, you like you like to get in line early and get your luggage in there, right? You get your carry on in and all that. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. We're going to take a quick break uh, for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Dan Rockwell. In 2004, Mike Zani and his partner started a search fund. A search fund is where you raise money with a leadership team already in place, and then look for a company to buy. Well, here's what Mike learned the first time he bought a company. Bob, we were really pretty good at the strategy stuff, and we were good at the financial side of things, knowing what to pay for a company. But when we finally bought the company, figuring out how to get the right people in the right roles and managing them was really hard, surprisingly hard, and we sucked at it. So Mike and his team used the predictive index to help them fix their people problems. Then when they bought and ran two more companies, they used the predictive index again. In fact, they became so enamored with the predictive index that you guessed it, they bought the company. Yeah, we bought a 60-year-old technology company. I have to pinch myself. You know, I, I get to run a company that helps people solve their people problems. Designing teams, hiring, inspiring managers. And when it comes down to it, almost all business problems come down to people problems. So if you're trying to figure out how to get more out of your people, I'd recommend you go to predictiveindex.com elevate and request a demo of their product. That's predictiveindex.com elevate. And we're back with Dan. So Dan, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we just talked about before the break on kind of things that you're going to do or not do or knowing what your strengths are, knowing your weaknesses. There's some mixed schools of thoughts on if leaders should focus on strengths or weaknesses. What is your take on that? Uh, fundamentally, strengths. There are some weaknesses that are going to hold you back. A classic example would be, let's say that you're really great at analyzing, gathering information it's likely that you need to up your decision-making game. In other words, analysis paralysis. You know, so that's a very common sort of illustration. Fundamentally, performance is in our strengths. I think Drucker brings this to the whole leadership community, that you, you can't perform out of weakness. That's just impossible. So focus on your strength, do what you do well, and uh, some of your weaknesses need to be brought up. If I'm a public speaker, for example, and yeah. I have uh, ums, or if I have these little phrases that I repeat over and over again. I had a friend tell me the other day, actually a couple of weeks ago, uh, he said, you know, you said, I kid you not, like four or five times. And uh, once is okay. You know, I kid yeah. you not. I don't want to say that. Like, it sounds like I don't believe what I'm saying. So... Well, I think that's a great example, right? So you're talking about you are a speaker, you want to be a speaker, and therefore things that are impeding your ability to deliver a good speech are, are things that you need to work on if you want to be a speaker. If not, <laughs> then you avoid being a speaker, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the um so thing is interesting. I I had a coach say to me, you know, you said um so 220 times in the presentation you gave. And he counted them. And that sort of hit me like uh, uh, right in the face. And I, I listened to a transcription of one of my presentations that we were turning into a blog post. And I could see it all there. And I decided, oh, yeah, I got to deal with this. And, and when I started dealing with it, I started noticing it in everyone else in our company and hearing it. Because once you start hearing it, it's like nails on the chalkboard for, mm -hmm. for you. 
And I've really pushed other people in the company to do it because I don't think that they realize this is a good example of, again, where it's a weakness you may not really realize how it dilutes their message. And these are people who are trying to communicate and speak and, and, one person on my team, I encourage everyone to put a little post-it note on their computer about that. And one person even was speaking and who I was really struggling with it. And he asked the audience, and this is someone who's a great learner and a great leader if you're willing to do this. He said to the audience, I'm really working on trying to not say um and so. So if you hear me say it during my presentation, please raise your hand. <laughs> That's courageous. Yeah. I mean, I... I I gave him credit. I did not, I did not think he was going to go that far because I had given him the feedback several times that I, I really thought it was something that he needed to pay attention to. And what's so cool, you know, about what you're saying, I think a motivated person who wants to excel in a certain area, doesn't mind feedback, enjoys feedback because they're trying to get better. I I'm working with a, a business leader and uh, he's struggled with his team and Every time I got on the phone with him, he told me about this other team. He would talk about this other team. 10 years ago, this, and 10 years ago, that, and you know, we did this, and we did that. And finally, I just said to the guy, that is sucking the life out of you. You got to let that go. I don't want to hear one more word about 10 years ago, this. Yeah. And when people see it, and he, because he wants to perform, so he has not referred to 10 years ago ever since I brought it up to him. So sometimes we just need to get a little bit of uh, somebody pointing out, oh, there's an um, there's an um, you, you know, 200 times or more in a presentation, you know, that's a kick in the pants. Stings a little bit, right? But it works. Yeah, because I want to I want to be a good speaker. I want to communicate a mission. And this is why feedback has to be, I think, what's in it for the receiver. A lot of people give it in a way that is just about them or it seems personal and you know we've coached all of our our team on this and even dealing with in client services when you have to tell someone something or it's not difficult why is it bad for them right you you want authority you want people to listen to you then you need to speak better if that people don't care about that then they're not going to want to want to improve you know every time a client asks us for something out of scope or above and beyond We've coached our team to say, I would love to do that for you. Which one of the other five things that I'm currently working on do you not want me to do? Or are you okay if doing this new initiative takes away time from these existing initiatives and we're going to have to change our, our goals for the existing initiatives? Well, now that we've positioned in why it's not good for them <laughs> versus saying, I don't want to do that extra work, <laughs> right. there's a very different perspective around it. Yes. I love this idea. You know, just ask somebody, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your aspirations? Where do you see yourself in a couple of years? And if you can tie your feedback to those, those aspirations, then they're excited to hear it. Right. And so when you're coaching people about leadership, what, what's the biggest challenge you encounter? Like what's the most common thing that people are really struggling with or that you have to spend those initial hours with them on? You know, I think uh, my clients fall into two general categories. Some of them are... Good and bad. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know, no, some of them are, are kind of, they've lost their self, themselves to work. Yeah. And, you know, they've lost the joy. They've lost their energy. They just, uh, one guy said to me, I feel like I'm on an interstate highway in Texas. It's flat as a pancake and it's 2 a.m. in the morning and there are no exits. You know, I'm just like exhausted. And, you know, so they've lost themselves. And, and those are very interesting coaching engagements. And the others are much more specific, as you would know, right? You know, I, I want to become a VP. I want to do better with this. I'm struggling with this situation. So those are much more 
topical or very, very specific sort of engagements. I, I would say this, I, the thing that I've noticed that seems to create tipping points for leaders is when they receive feedback on where their energy is. It took me a while to, to get this, but I'll be either on video or face-to-face -face and somebody will start talking and they'll light up. And so I'll interrupt them and say, oh, what's happening for you? Because hmm. boom, you know, your eyes are bright, you're, you know, and they start to learn what makes themselves tick. And then what we do is explore how to bring that into a different context. One leader, we went to dinner and he started talking about his kids. He just adopted four kids. And uh, yeah, I kid, really, I'm going to say, I kid you kid not. You not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt it coming. <laughs> so, so he said, I've adopted four kids, which to me freaks me out. And as soon as he started talking about it, I mean, he is lighting up and we've been together all afternoon and I had seen anything like that. And I, so yeah. we talked about it What's happening for you. You know, I said, I, he said, I see myself as a dad, I'm a father. And this is a little weird. But I said, okay, let's think about taking off the typical leader hat, and you're showing up tomorrow with a father hat on. Now, you can't go around telling everybody who's your daddy. But yeah. somehow, you know, you bring that father orientation. And again, employees aren't children. Yeah. But, and I have to, I, you might be interested in this. So I said, when you put your father hat on and show up at work, what's the first thing that you notice about yourself? And he said, I'm better at holding people accountable. And to me, I'm shocked. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I thought you were going to say he was a better coach or a better yeah. teacher. Yeah. Something softer, right? Yeah. He said, no, I, I, you know, I, as a father, sometimes you have to hold your children accountable. And it gave him the courage and really the channel through which uh, he was better able to face some of the, the tough conversations that he'd been avoiding. That's very interesting. And, and isn't it? Yeah, this goes to, I was just having this discussion with someone on the process of figuring out your values, your core values, and how it's such a important, it was the critical turning point for me personally and professionally. We know our values. And I think this was your example. It was a perfect case. It's kind of like you're driving a car and you don't know where the wall is, but you know when you hit the wall. You know when it feels really bad or, or when it feels really good, but you can't put verbiage to that. So it's a process of actualizing them because they're there. But once you can put words to them and you say, I exceed in situations where I can do X or I am drained in situations where I can do Y, it's like you suddenly have your playbook to yourself and you can make great decisions about how to use your time and your energy and what company you want to work for and how you want to work in that company. And I, I think this is the great struggle for people. Yes. Yeah. So um, how did you come to your values? I went to a really intensive leadership program that was run by entrepreneurs organization. And actually it was two things within three months. I, I went to that uh, over four or five days, uh, a gentleman named Warren Rustan led that, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but he is an incredible human being has since become a mentor and has coached thousands of leaders around the world and very values oriented leadership. I also saw someone who was sort of a disciple of Simon Sinek lead an exercise on how to find your why uh, and core purpose. And I watched him do this with people and I went through the exercise with him. And that turned out to be kind of a core driver for me and, and one of my key uh, values. So over that next six to 12 months, I really I worked on it. I created lists. I cut it down. I finally had these four or five things. And then I started aligning everything 
in my life around them. And, you know, one of the examples I give to people is that even with my kids, like I am best in the service of my kids when I'm doing something that's aligned with my core values. Mm. I've kind of given myself permission not to feel guilty about other things with them where I show up, but I'm not as engaged. Like it's hard for me. I'm authentic. It's hard for me to fake being interested in something that I'm not, but I'm really good with them on the things that I'm good at. And so that, that was the process for me. And, and this whole, they're always there really got nailed home for me a year or two ago when my parents were moving out of their house and they decided they're going to dump all my childhood stuff over, over with me. And, and I got boxes of the stuff and I found all my report cards from when I was a little kid and this two page write up when I was five years old in preschool that I changed some words and showed to my leadership team and told them it was a 360 review. And they all believed me. I changed like playmates to, to coworkers. And it was just amazing reading through these things, how I had been the same person <laughs> for all these years. Like it, it was all there. I could connect the dots. Wow. That is so cool. I love how you, you were talking about over the course of a few months, you know, some things, there were pivotal events that seemed to tip you toward the direction you needed to go. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcast. hbr.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, the big idea, HBR magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, Subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. Yeah, and I, right. And I was at the stage, I think, where I was just doing more. Like I thought more would get me more and not, I hadn't figured out mm. what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that the case? I mean, how many of us have fallen into this trap of 
trying harder. Something's not working. And so instead of stepping back and evaluating, we just kind of grit our teeth, grip the handlebars a little firmer and pedal harder, thinking if we just do something that's not working with greater philosophy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the hamster wheel. It's going to start working magically. You know, it's like, no. <laughs> we have that conversation. We've had that conversation several times with people on our team around you need to step off the hamster wheel, spinning it harder and, and look at rebuilding the wheel or the process. It's not spinning it faster is just not going to do it for you. That's, yeah, you know, we talk about what are tipping points for leaders and what helps them change. I think sometimes it's somebody having the courage to say, okay, you've been doing this for a year, two years, five years. You've been frustrated yeah. the whole time. It's time to stop. Yeah. How, how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah. How's that working for you? <laughs> there was a speaker once who I saw who, she's a great speaker, Gina Malacone, and, and, and I was telling her about some problem I had, this perpetual sort of... In, relationship or friend and, and and she basically was like how's that working for you i, I was talking about, we're talking about giving your energy or walking away i'm like not well <laughs> you know she's like that's what it sounds like so why don't you change it so i i did fantastic so what inspired you to start leadership freak your blog did you always have a vision to make it something that was wide reaching or did you think it would be more of a, a close group of people well, I get asked this, Bob, semi-regularly, and uh, my my responses are rather unimpressive. Yeah, I started writing. Um, I hadn't written before, except for contracts, you know, and technical types of writing. But uh, I just started writing. Uh, I got my MBA late in life, and it interested me organizational development, all that kind of stuff. So I just made a commitment to myself that I would start writing, and if it got traction, I would keep doing it. And obviously, it did get traction, but there was no plan. There was no like, this is going to be a business. I had no heck. I had no idea. So a year and a half in, I got my first invitation to go speak, and I thought, wow, this is awesome. I could make money doing this, you know. So now it's on up on ten years at the end of this year, I think. And I just had no idea. So there was no plan. I really started writing out of a few things. One is a fear of not mattering as much as I could in life. And so I know, again, you know, this is not noble. It's not like, you know, hey, well, that's such a great motivation. I was afraid I wouldn't matter. And, you yeah. know, I had a good position with the college. I was, you know, working in the community and not that whole thing. But, you know, I was about 50, I guess. And um, I went through, you know, a typical midlife crisis. I've had several of them. I think they're exciting. You ought to have a lot. And uh, you evaluate yourself. Did you buy a lot of cars? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have kept my shirt buttoned up, by the way, and I still don't own a big gold chain. Okay, but, good. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just evaluated myself and I thought, you know, you have more in you. And uh, that is one of those key moments where I said, you know, I, I have to stop defining myself by what other people think I should be doing and define myself by who I am. And it wasn't long after that that I started writing and one thing led to another and off you go. And how big is your audience now? Um, I'm getting several million uh, unique visits a year. Wow. And every single country in the world is represent has readers, except the Western Sahara, which I every time I look at the map and I see the Western Sahara is not lit up, I'm ticked about it. 
Well, maybe maybe we have some listeners in the Western Sahara. So that's what you know. That's what I'm, I tell audiences yeah. this. You know, <laughs> if you ever you're, get you're, to going, West- you're, you're going on some obscure Western Saharan <laughs> blogs and podcasts, trying to trying to get. <laughs> <laughs> please log in so you know i can sleep at night <laughs> yeah that's very funny and I, I the other question i have because i think one of the biggest envy things i i hear from people is about writing so they want to write a book they want to write more oh i see you write a lot how do you do that uh so i always think it's a little helpful to unpack that that process of how, how do you decide when you're going to write what you're going to write what's your cadence I'm not deciding when I'm going to write. I'm going to write in the morning. And uh, so it's not so that a is a decision. <laughs> it it, it yeah. sort of is a decision, but it's not like I wake up and say, now, are you going to write today or not? That is not the question. And I think this is the difference between like a commitment and a convenience. A commitment is a decision you make once, you know, and a convenience is, well, let's see if it works out. And so, I'll, you know, I'll make the decision many times, but I made a commitment. And so when I get up, it's not like, are you going to write? It's what are you going to write? And how do you decide your topic to the day? Do you keep a running list? Do you just wake up and whatever you feel like that morning? Uh, both. Okay. Um, I love to write angry. And again, you know, I hate to passionate. Talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Thank you for saying that. I love to write about, uh, you know, I've had a conversation with somebody and there was a huge screw up. I, you know, something's wrong. I love to like fix what's wrong. Now, I don't post that. I'm going to write a solution that might be flamed or fueled by some sort of frustration. You know, I just don't think it's healthy to rant all the time. I mean, I do a little bit. But uh, so I find topics in uh, my own personal frustrations. I'm solving my own problems. Yeah. do that all the time. Matter of fact, if you were to just kind of read through uh, a couple of months worth of uh, my blogs, which go out every weekday now, you probably get a pretty good idea of what's going on in my life. And sometimes it's pretty. <laughs> like Dan's mad. But reading, you know, you know, reading also helps. I take walks and I listen, I use audible. And then I have to like, with my phone, I give myself audio notes because I think of something else. A great book for me. And by the way, thanks for your book, Elevate. I appreciate getting it. Love it. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm listening to a book, and uh, a great book for me is a book that gives me thoughts that aren't even necessarily related to the book. You know, I got a short attention span, and I think, oh, that's a great, and, and I'll uh, do a little audio uh, note to myself while I'm walking. And by the way, when you get back, have you done this? When you get back, it's like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I get back and I'm like, what the hell did I, because I usually try to like audio transcribe the email. I'm like, what was I emailing to myself? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? it's, like go- it's like gobbledygook. I didn't understand what I, what I wrote. Yeah. But sometimes it works, right? So, so yeah. you get this idea and, you know, and I'm always thinking about it. I'm, I want to write a post about how to really run an exciting meeting where everybody participates because we all hate meetings, you know, and, and uh, so it's dripping in the back of my mind and it'll come together one of these days. That sounds like a, a, a unicorn. Um, <laughs> do you have any future books in mind? I'm actually uh, working with a fellow right now and uh, we're going we're gonna to write a book together. I am not sure exactly what that book is going to be about, but I'll tell you, I have a real passion to write a book about humility. Uh, mostly because I uh, am relatively distant from the topic and I love pursuing it. So I I definitely want to write a book about humility. 
you know, I have so many uh, blogs and I don't try to make a theme, you know, they don't necessarily run from one to the other, but I sometimes will go back and look at them and we've collected up different topics and uh, I'm excited to kind of write one of those books that has very short chapters and is not long and is for me writing is about trying to be as practical as possible so I'm excited to kind of get some of that stuff out there but the first one I'm going to write with someone else who's written 30 books and you know he's going to kind of guide me through the process because there's such a difference between writing blogs and writing books. Yeah, although I think books are starting to look more, blogs are getting longer, books are getting shorter, so there's a, a convergence. Well, last question for you, Dan, and this could be a singular or repeated, but what is a mistake you've made personally or professionally that you've learned the most from? I think having higher aspirations for others than they have for themselves. I'm a developer. I love to develop. Uh, I like to learn myself. I want to be a learner. I am a learner, and I have people on the team and, you know, that I work with and I have these aspirations for them. I see things in them and uh, they don't see those things. And sometimes I'm just imposing my own aspirations on them. And, you know, I want them to be a great speaker and they, they couldn't care less. They don't want to be a great speaker. And I can't figure anybody out. I can't figure you out. If you don't want to do what I want to do, what's wrong with you? Yeah. That's so <laughs> what I, what I found is, I have frustrated others and frustrated myself because I didn't pay close enough attention to their own values and strengths. And I tried to impose myself on them. And what I found, wow, when, when you step back and you see what people do well and you realize you've been making them fail, you've been setting them up for failure because you're, you're pressuring them to go do this and go do and They just don't have any energy and they're just not, they drop the ball and it's like so frustrating as what's wrong with you? No, what's wrong with me? I'm, you know, I'm trying to make you something you're not. And so when, what I've learned, and I still have to grapple with this, is make sure you figure out what people are about and what they're passionate about and jump in their boat and row with them as hard as you can instead of saying, you know, you get in my boat, you know, because I'm going to take you over here. I knew you were going to ask this question and I thought about it because there, there are so many screw ups. By the way, that's how I get so many topics to write about. There are so many screw ups. But honestly, as a leader, I think maybe this is one of the fundamental mistakes uh, that I made all along. And that is imposing my uh, aspirations on others. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote that I've heard, which is, uh, I think, a man convinced against his will is still of, uh, is of the same opinion still. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Love that. You, you made me think about the little two-year-old who said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Oh, that's a good one, too. All right. Well, Dan, <laughs> how can people find you in your blog? Thanks for asking that. Just go to leadershipfreak.blog. If you type in Leadership Freak on Google, you're going to find me. And uh, the email is dan at leadershipfreak.com. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for sharing your story with us. You have a clear passion for leadership and are, are out there really making a difference and an impact on a new generation of leaders. Thank you so much. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include a link to Dan and his blog uh, at the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode or any of the episodes, I have a huge favor to ask. And that is, could you leave us a rating or review? Because it really helps new users to discover the show. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is hit the library icon, click on Elevate, 
and scroll down to the bottom to leave your review. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.